Hi, I'm Natasha. And I'm Penny. And you're listening to The Wibs, the podcast for women in business. We're here with practical, real advice to help you get ahead at work. Without the BS. We'll be the work wives you've always wanted. Let's go. Welcome back to a very special episode of The Wibs. Today, we are interviewing the fabulous Kat Nguyen, the Managing Director of Empirical. She's a seasoned professional who combines her roles as a business strategist and a devoted mother to view the world through a unique lens. She is focused on branding, on building business models, on being a super organized and super efficient leader. She also happens to be my former coach, my former business coach, and she is a fantastic person to learn from. This episode is jam-packed full of different ideas. I'm sure you're going to get so much value out of it. Tash and I both did, and we hope you enjoy the episode today. Hi, I'm Natasha. And I'm Penny. And welcome to The Whips. Today we have a very exciting guest. Her name is Kat and she's the Managing Director of Empirical. And she is also our former coach, my life guru, the person <laughs> that got me through so many things and um, probably knows me just as well as Tash. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hello. My head is already <laughs> swelling. I love this already. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor. Thank you. You no. guys are doing so well. And that intro, I was like, oh my God, that, that was really deep. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, it happens every week. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and we end up just laughing. 57 times now. <laughs> so we wanted to have you on the podcast naturally because you have been hugely impactful for both of our careers, but we've also mentioned you quite a few times on the Yes, <laughs> I would say this is the infamous cat life coach guru that we mention all of the oh, time. No, I feel as if there's so much expectation to live no, up to now. Not at all. <laughs> I'll give you a bit of a background of how I got in touch with Kat. So um, we were, I was part of a group called Entrepreneurs Organization and Kat came to speak at the, um, one of our meetups that we would do. And I was just blown away. Your presentation, the way that you were able to articulate marketing from a very unique position. Uh, it was all about data, data-driven decisions and um, how to use data to make decisions. And I just, I was obsessed. I was like, this is amazing. This is exactly the type of person that we need help from. Um, I went and spoke to Penny and I was like, Pen, is this something that you'd be interested in? Is this something that we could do? I spoke to you and Together, we kind of created the ultimate marketing team because we're able to bring everyone's strengths together and mm -hmm. um, and use that. Yeah, it was amazing. I think um, before that point, I hadn't actually had the, I guess, the fortune to be able to have a, that one-on-one -on -one coaching experience in that way. And I've got to say that the work that you do was transformational for not only myself, but for our entire team. The way that you were able to kind of really dissect the pain points and the problems and help us kind of become more refined really as a team yeah. like all of us Analytical. I think yeah that that was the real sort of turning point for us and I think that we were never better optimized than at that point when we were working with you and being able to collaborate so thank you so much for that because it was incredible thank you well for me it was a lot easier to step in because you guys already had a great foundation so we need to acknowledge that <laughs> and it's always easy to see the big picture when you're standing from the outside so the biggest thing about working with people I find is reflecting what they may not be realizing yet and presenting that information back to them and helping them figure out what's the decision that they need to make. So the whole time working with the team there was about, okay, great. Everyone seems like they're in the right roles. Does everyone realize their strengths? If they are in a position where they're potentially not performing as well, is that because they're not the right person or maybe their strengths even lie to that role? And I think at the beginning of that stage, 
when I stepped in, that was the first thing that we worked on. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. And that's what I love. Can you talk us through the that first step? Because I thought that, again, when I say, like, you took a very unique data-driven approach or you started the whole thing, the whole, you know, situation with data, you, mm. you made sure before you stepped into that mentorship role that you were like, well, I need some data. And I can't own that piece. It's actually my partner, Tommy, he runs a business called Inject. And when I started my business, you know, five or six years ago, the first hire was really, really important. I started off as just me and I had my first hire. And I said, what does my first hire need to look like? And when you talk about it, a lot of people will be like, you want someone with great initiative, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Talking with my partner, Tommy, we broke it down and said, what are the things that I'm really good at? What are the things that I'm not very good at? And that's not because I don't have the will to learn, mm. but maybe I'm not quite engineered that way. So to give you an example, what happens is if someone is... Uh, for me, I like to be really strategic. I like to think about about big problems, big solutions. And what that means is sometimes I really struggle to switch from that brain to the detail, little documentation, being really having high attention to detail in that respect. doesn't mean I can't do it. It just means it takes a while for me to switch. So when it came to hiring my first person, we looked at my profile or an OPQ and we designed what does the ideal first employee look like? And we did that and we to this day, every single person that we hire in the business goes through the same process. We look at whether or not they have the right profile to succeed in that role, but as well to succeed within our team based yeah. on what's our bench strength. So when I stepped into that business with your team, same thing. I could go in and I could potentially meet with each person and interview each person, but I can be so subjective, mm. right? I know what I like. I know what my friends look like and sound like, but I can't necessarily take that into a business mm. because sometimes there may be people uh, who are great, but the way that they articulate themselves aren't. But if they're in a particular role that doesn't require them, does that make them good or bad? Yeah. So the first thing that we did was we did the we did the you know profile testing to understand how did everyone fit. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the profile testing for those that haven't experienced it in their workplace before? Mm. So I think the profile testing that we use is the OPQ. And right now I cannot, for the life of me, remember what it stands for. <laughs> <laughs> well, put it in the show notes. So I am sure something along the lines of, you know, occupational, professional, like, question. Yeah. Um, what it is, is you go through a series of questions and it asks you for your preferences. It's not about... Um, what you're good at, what you're not good at. It's more about, okay, let's talk about, you know, if you were to sit down and write a document, do you feel as if the time passes quickly or slowly? Right, mm, okay. Right? So you choose your preference. Actually, based on that, how would you answer it? Uh, I think that if I had to write a document, it would go quickly. Like I would need Oh, to. my God, I would just get AI to do it. <laughs> I can't. I just <laughs> I have you. absolutely no detail. I, yeah, I'm, I'm completely impatient <laughs> in life. <laughs> so I am to too. your point, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Look. And I like that it goes from preference. It doesn't go from, look, I've done this profile. I've done heaps of different tests and whatnot, my Briggs, all of those ones. But I like that it's kind of based on preference. It's not like um, the other questions I can ask that you can kind of steer it because sometimes when you're doing personality tests or tests like this, you can I don't know, but, you oh, can. my God, I'm like, I want to be like this dominant, influential person. But the way that they do it is like you can't rig this, no. which I love. That's right. And it goes through a series of what it does is it assesses for your behaviours and behaviours are indicative of how you will behave in certain scenarios. And there are a number of questions and it fits into different themes around um, leadership, uh, whether you're entrepreneurial, how you go about problem solving, how you work with others. 
And again, there's no right or wrong. Mm. The whole thing with testing in this dynamic is to understand what are your natural behaviours in certain situations and the role itself that you're applying yourself in with those behaviours, are you going to set yourself up for success? Mm. And that's the purpose of that particular testing. Yeah, yeah. And that, so you do that and then so you get, you get the test and did you do it yourself before you hired? I did do it myself. Ah, and let me cool. tell you, I, I remember doing the test and I was like, I do not want to look at this. I don't want to know what I'm like, <laughs> which I yeah. think my OBQ as you read, it probably dictates that too. I think a lot has changed over the years, but I did because it was about what's my yeah. profile or what are my natural behaviours and then what are, you know, the person yeah. that we're hiring, how do they fit? I remember doing it yeah. and feeling very frustrated. I actually think that was my first session. I with remember you. that. And I was like, <laughs> I hate my result. I don't like it. I feel, and but I think it's like holding up a mirror to yourself. And sometimes those traits, maybe you don't want to see them, maybe you want to kind of ignore them, but they're really important because I really wanted to be similar to what you're saying, Tash. Like I really wanted to be this like aggressive, go get it. Like I can get this, I can get shit done basically. And that is just not my my natural preference or style in a lot of different ways. Mm. So. Yeah, that was an interesting first session. Sorry about that. No, don't be <laughs> sorry. It was good at all. though. It, it made for a great first session. And I think, you know, there's so much in that to dissect because I think there's a sense of we have to look and behave a certain way to be deemed as, you know, a successful go-getter mm. woman. Mm. And I think I remember going into that coaching session with you and going, you have a lot of great strengths here. And what we forget is these strengths have gotten us to where we are mm. and they are behaviors. And the thing is, you can always learn or unlearn a behaviour. Mm. So it's just about what's my next thing that I need to get into and how do we get there? What, yeah. what do we need to really dial in next? That was the first thing you said to me when we when we chatted about Penny. Um, but <laughs> it was uh, – no, it was it was like, okay, like these are the behaviours that I choose. And we've always been and, – and Penny's the same with anyone you've hired. It's – you can't – I believe you can't teach attitude. I think that someone's attitude and the way that they are and, and just like what's innate within them, you can't teach that. But behaviours you can and mm. you can – or you can upskill somebody with – you know, different skill sets and different like skills and, and you can always do that. And you really, that was a huge part of what you believed in too. It was, you know, um, we can we can change this behaviour, but is the attitude there? Mm. And that was always, yeah, sorry, like, you're always attitude. 100%. Um, oh, but it, it was just, it was just like the behaviours of certain things. And to be honest, some behaviours don't actually have to be changed. And that's the fun part. The fun part and what you kind of opened my, my mind up to was as a leader was, Okay, so there's certain things that we need to change because that's, that, that's, you know, part of the role. Or can we fill the gap with somebody underneath who's going to help really position the leader as somebody who is, you know, able to work in their skill of genius and then they can work in theirs. And I thought that was really that, – that opened up my eyes and helped us to build the ultimate marketing team because you had Penny at the top who was, you know, leading leading and making those strategic decisions and lived in that world of genius that you lived in. And then you had your beautiful team who were just like, oh, no, we can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And they were all different. But it just like was a puzzle. It yeah. It was like a really cool puzzle. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I think that, Kat, like where you were able to kind of come in at, over at that bird's eye view, is that something that you feel like you do in a lot of teams, like in your work, in your day-to-day when you're entering a business? Like you have a look at the the data, but then you're really that person that kind of facilitates over the top? It's a great question. I find that that particular skill set is what I do mostly with my team now. Mm. And, you know, you've put it in a really great way. The Just to re- reframe it, knowing what your strengths are or knowing where your gaps are 
then allows you to figure out what problem you're solving. Yeah. So I look at my team and I go, what are the gaps? Is it me or is it someone else that I need to, are the options one, does someone need to you know, skill up? Because sometimes it's about you have your set behaviours. If you can teach someone other things, it means that they have extra tools to work with and mm. they choose when they want to use that tool. Or is it filling the gap with an internal resource or an external resource, whatever it may be. In terms of what, you know, how often I use the skill set or, or how often do I walk into a business and look at that, very often. I mean, what we do is we work with other businesses as their marketing team. And we predominantly focus now with, you know, B2B businesses where you have a marketing team, us, and you have a sales team. And, you know, for me, marketing sales is really one function. It's a revenue generating function. So when we go in and the marketing team, they run their campaigns, it doesn't stop at end of campaign. It stops with how is it handed over to the sales team. Mm. So when I walk into a business and I go, okay, let's talk about a, one lead as an example. How is that lead generated? Is that communicated to the salesperson? How is the salesperson then dealing with it? And then does the management or the CEO understand? So for me at any point in time, it's about being effective, right? And I always say my, to my team, the job is not done until it's understood. And that's mm. ultimately oh my God, the I whole thing that. about working with people. So when we come into a business, we're working with other marketers or we're working with salespeople or we're working with operations people who are delivering on what marketing says that the business does. The whole thing for me is going, what we're doing here, is it understood? Mm. And if it's not, what do I need to do to help facilitate that understanding? Yeah. And sometimes it's just about putting the right people in the rooms. Sometimes it's about, it's about being uh, taking a different approach to communicating what we're trying to achieve. But that's ultimately it. I mean, I'm yeah. simplifying what we're doing, but is the job done and is it understood? No, but I love that. That is incredible because I think a lot of the time there's a lot of, well, I've done my part. Off I go. Yeah. And that, that's it. Like I've done my part and I love what you said about sales and marketing because I think anybody in sales or anybody in marketing can definitely relate to the the sometimes division between the two. It's kind of like, well, you're not bringing leads. Well, you're not closing. Well, you're not doing this. And it's always a bit of like finger pointing at times. But I think that the best type of teams are the ones that can kind of enmesh both sales and marketing because to your point, they're both the purpose of both functions is to drive revenue. Mm. So if they're working together as a team, it's only going to benefit them both more. I think that's really interesting. I know that we like when we were working with the sales and marketing team, you know, when something would go wrong, it was like, who do we look at? And say, no, 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 that's not what we need to be doing. We don't need to be going, who do we look at? Whose department? Which department's fault is this? It's all of ours. We, now we need to work together. We need to get in a room. We need to, and we started to combine our meetings from, you know, marketing meetings and sales meetings to sales and marketing meetings so that we could all get together weekly and discuss them. So I really like that that's kind of the approach. Um, yeah. Like I guess suppose business functions don't exist in a silo. They they have to be collaborative mm. and I love the way that you've put that. But I feel like you have a really interesting job, Kat, in terms of being able to come into a business and be able to kind of help identify these points. How did you get started in this in the first place though? Because it's a very interesting journey to get from being the person that gives all the advice and the wisdom and, and I guess leads with that kind of information. But how do you end up there and become a coach yourself? Well, the funny thing is I don't think of myself as a coach and I think what I did was maybe one of two clients that I worked with in that respect. Right. And my whole thing is if I, uh, you know, a lot of people have these careers and they go, when I was young, I wanted to do X, they did X, they did Y, then did more of that. I look back and I go, I was nothing like that. I was a STEM student. I loved art. Mm -hmm. I loved, uh, I was terrible at English, but 
don't my copy is fantastic now though (laughs) so I feel as if my career has been a mix of things and I look back now and everything makes sense I started my corporate career when I was 18 I was starting a bachelor of commerce and my corporate job for three and a half years was rotating between HR operations finance and marketing and when I ended up in my marketing rotation, I was like, oh, my God, this is so much fun. I get paid to do this. And that's how I decided to start in marketing. But throughout my career, I've worked in a startup. I've worked in sales. I've worked in marketing. I've worked as a management consultant. And I started my business. And to kind of connect all the dots, I think for me, my fascination is understanding the mechanics of how a business works and the people needed to make it successful. And what's really important to me is have fun while I do it, which is why I do focus a lot of my time on marketing. Mm. Um, But that's what I do. I think having that curiosity in different people, different functions allows me to step into any business and understand, okay, one, I understand your business model. Two, I understand the different levers in your business and who does what and why that's important. And now I understand what your sales and marketing strategy needs to be and what we need to make happen in order for you to grow. Mm. I would like to, I'd like to kind of pick up off, um, can you tell us about Empirical and and what it is, how it started, the the business journey? Mm. I'll tell you the story of how I decided to start Empirical. You know how sometimes people have this idea, they're like, I'm going to solve this problem. And I wish I had that moment. But I was at a crossroads in my career the company that I was working at, the management consultancy was being acquired. And the company that was acquiring them were very operations focused. And I'm like your marketing growth Mm. girl. I loved solving problems to do with growth and um, products and marketing and in that that respect. So with that acquisition, I felt it was my time to see if there's somewhere else that I should be. And I was interviewing for these different jobs. So I shared that, you know, I've worked in sales, I've worked in marketing, I've worked as a consultant. I was at this crossroads. I'm like, what? what the hell do I do next? So I applied for a job at Amex in a sales role. I applied for a job at Meltwater, I think in a marketing role and applied for like some consulting roles too. And in every interview that I went or every job description that I read, I said, I I can do this. But I said, but what's next? Like I feel as if I want something else to this. Like that edginess. Yeah, I was like, like, this is great. But after I do this for a year or two, like what's next in that role for me? Mm -hmm. And... So it was like one, you know, one day after work and I was walking around Espresso in the city with um, a colleague of mine and she knew that I was looking for jobs. And then she, you know, very cliche, she said to me, Kat, if money wasn't any concern, what would you do? And in that moment, I turned around and I said, I would consult with startups. And the next question was, do you think you could do that now? And I was like, I think I could. Oh, I love that. Um, (laughs) And then what happened? I think the it would have been, you know, the next few days, I think on my lunch break, I, I was at a particular corner in the city and I pulled up my phone and I said, who am I going to call? And in my startup days when I was working for my first full-time job, I made a lot of, I met a lot of people in the tech world and I made a few calls and they said, Kat, what are you doing? And I was like, you know, I'm actually thinking of starting my own business. Would there be of any interest for me to provide you marketing consulting services? They said, yes. I quit my job two, two weeks later. Oh, my God. I took a week or an, a week and two weeks off and I booked myself for six months. So when I started, it was very much of a moment where I said, I think this is what I need to do because I love sales. I love marketing. I love solving problems. And I can do this for an industry that I'm really passionate about or people I'm passionate about. And at the time, that was for startups. So visionaries. 
what we do at Empirical Now plays on a lot of that. But I would say that what we do is we are the brand and marketing team for businesses who are doing things differently. The biggest thing that has evolved for me is we don't purely play in the startup space. What I've realized is there are small to medium businesses in either, you know, commoditized industries or saturated industries that need brand and marketing help. And they may need a team to help reposition how they should be talking about themselves and a team that can get that message out there Mm. and help them grow. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do now. And that was the story of how Empirical started. That's awesome. I love how you kind of went from like that one man show, kind of woman show, um, <laughs> and then going, you know, okay, this is what I'm, like, I'm just going to get on the phone. Like just going to get on the phone. And and then from from that, you know, consulting, and then how did you then move on to like services and, and your first hire and growing that team? So not a lot of people know this. I My first year of business was very – chaotic in a sense that it was not what I expected. I did my first trip to Europe. I was away for four weeks. First year oh business. And I was like, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Yeah. And I fell pregnant. So that wasn't on the cards for my first year of business. But what I decided then was I knew that I wanted a team. I didn't want it to be just brand cat. I wanted a team that I could work with and mm. be on this journey with. So after I had Lena, she's four years old now. She's gorgeous, by the way. She's <laughs> literally, she's don't, so don't, cute. don't. She's the cutest. <laughs> she is, she is very, very she's cute. gorgeous. And she's very supportive. I, um, I used to call her our CMO, Chief Milk Officer. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. Which I is a great her. play in words because I'm the um, CMO at Empirical. Yeah. Um, where was I? Sorry. No, you <laughs> were just, you, you, you were saying how. You were pregnant. You were pregnant. pregnant. Yes. <laughs> so I, you know, it's. It can, it's always easier to tell the story now, Mm -hmm. but on the way here today, I said, how did I feel when I felt that I was, when I found out that I was pregnant one and I was starting my own business and it was just me because you do the maths and you go, wait a minute, if I stop working, my income stops. Mm. I worked uh, up until I think it was about like two weeks before I gave birth. I don't recommend it, but I think I kind of wanted to do it. I had the conversation with my partner and I said, work is really important to me and we need to have a plan for how I come back. And after we had the conversation, it was fine. I went away and I spoke to all my clients. Everyone was so supportive. I, you know, had Lena and then I came back to work. And part of coming back to work was staged out. It was one, picking up all the clients that I put things on hold and they were all fine. I used to go into their offices with a pram (laughs) and I'd have my own room and that was really supportive of them. And then I had my first hire. And after, since then, it was a case of, okay, had my first hire. That's when I'm going to come back to work full time. And ever since then, it's just been, I guess, really harmonious. I love, I really love and respect. And thank you for sharing the fact that, you know, that pregnancy piece and how it kind of derailed things. Because a lot of the narratives that I hear with women in, in, in our age bracket um, in particular is kind of like, I want to achieve so much before I get pregnant. It's, and, and, and a lot of people, I hear it all the time. And to be completely transparent, I think of that all the time. I'm like, I'm going to need to find a way to have passive income before I get pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And you, you're putting so much stress on yourself. And I just love that you just shared that you quite literally started a business and found yourself pregnant and you've still been able to come on the other end and have an incredible business, an incredible balance yeah. of life, of, you know, having a gorgeous, gorgeous girl and then also building that business. 
I think it's a lot of things that women in business don't feel like they can achieve. Yeah, and it goes against, uh, I guess, the narrative that we keep seeing over and over again, which is it's going to be so hard. It's going to be a struggle. And I'm sure that there are challenging times, but I love the fact that you've been able to do it throughout it and yeah. beyond it and, and keep growing and evolving as a result. I think that's really cool. And I love that you've had those really supportive clients at the t- those key pivotal moments in your life as well because that makes such a difference. It that's, does. That's got to help, you. right? That's got to oh. <laughs> – the, the, having that, that client that can, you know, cares because you care. Mm. So it's kind of like that back and forth. I think, you know, looking at myself, I think a big part of my identity then and it is still now is – my my success and my success for me is what I do in work Mm. that's how I identify myself so I knew that if I had my child and I was taken away from that I don't know how it would be Mm. so having that conversation with myself first was really important having that conversation with my partner was really important and then figuring out what do we do with it and it's so unfortunate that I I had that thought Mm. I had that thought back then and sometimes I still do now what does it mean to be a woman who chooses to be pregnant and how does that impact your career? And it's easy for me to say it now because I, I'm looking back in time. In that moment, I was terrified. But looking back in time, I go, right now, I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I The question is, if if things were different, would I be elsewhere? I don't think so. So That's a good question. I get, I understand what you're saying, and I think to your point, everything happens for a reason. And you're, you were challenged. You know, you're incredibly like, regardless of whether you can have a business or not whilst being pregnant, there's no denying that it would be challenging. Mm. It would have been incredibly challenging. You know, your body's going through so much, and then you've got to, you know, be there and be present for every single client that you've got. I can't imagine how difficult that would have been. It was. It was the most difficult thing I found was your body's different. Your energy levels are different. And that can be really frustrating to work through Mm. where you go, I'm normally so quick at thinking. I'm normally so quick at doing certain things. I'm normally so agile. And now I can't even get out of the bloody couch. That was difficult. But the great thing is like I I look at it now and I phrase it differently rather than thinking about it will change your life. And it does. And it changes your life in the most wonderful ways. I just looked at it as cut. You're slowing down and at some point you're going to be able to pick it back up and speed up. And I look at it now and I go, it wasn't me putting myself on a different path in my career. It was just a matter of me taking a step back for me. Mm. And, you know, people talk, I'm just going to do a sideline here. Yes. So people look at work-life balance as 50-50 and um, I look at it as the harmony over time. Slowing down for my first year with Lena meant that I had to slow down, but I knew that after the year I could pick back up. Gosh. Well, I think I think one of the interesting things that you mentioned about work-life balance is that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm. It's all, sorry, it doesn't have to be 50-50 either. It can be whatever it needs to be at the time. So, for example, if you are feeling like, you know, you want to go full speed for two weeks and then relax for a week, that's okay. Work-life balance doesn't mean you have to wake up, you know, do yoga, meditate, go really hard for two hours and go back home. Like, it doesn't have to be a yeah. day-by-day thing. It can be segmented. Absolutely. I just remembered my thought. I think we're so conditioned as, you know, when we grow up, you go to school, you go through each grade and each grade is one level up. Mm. And then you graduate from high school and then you potentially go through university. I did and it was about levelling up again. Mm -hmm. So I think we're conditioned from a little, from a young age that you have to level up really quickly. You have to level up at least each semester or each year and you have to have these big accomplishments. And one of the things I came to realisation in my in my 20s was, Kat, when is that next level up? 
and the level ups tend to spread out longer over time because mm. you don't necessarily get a pat on the back or reward every you know every month you do something. And I'm at, I'm at that point now where I go, my next level up might not be for three years, and I'm working towards it. Do I want to sprint and really tire myself out, or am I just gonna you know slowly get towards that? And I think that's where I am now. And what I wanted to say was, work life balance is really tricky to achieve because one maybe the way that the construct the construct of life and social life doesn't allow us to be but I look at it as is it harmonious if I look at my home life if I look at my work life if I look at you know do I feel as if I'm being a good daughter do I feel as if I'm being a good friend I can't do all of that on the same day I don't know yeah. about you guys but I <laughs> can certainly not. do that but over we a year which is why I find, you know, during summer, that's when the social activities pick back up. And mm. I feel like a great friend, but I also feel like I'm not a bad friend for not being in touch with my friends as much maybe in like around the end of financial year because that's yeah. when my business demands of me. So, yeah. No, I like the way that you've kind of spread it out because it makes complete sense. It's not – you don't have to be everything at once every single day. You don't have to be a good daughter because I'm sure we can all put our hands up and say, look, I have – you know, with friends, like – there's days that you just need to just buckle down and, and prioritise business or prioritise other areas and it's just about choosing those priorities, which I think is really important. Yeah, I think people need to not take the idea of work-life balance so literally. It's you're yeah. exactly what you said before. It's not that I have to divide my day equally between my work and my life. And I think that the goal should be that harmony that you're talking to because if I can enjoy what I'm doing every day and feel like I can get up early and do a bit of work, make sure I'm speaking to my family and friends, make sure I'm prioritising my health and well-being and get my shit done, then what's wrong with that? It doesn't need to be, okay, from nine till mm. five I'm working and then from five till nine I'm not working. Mm. I think a bit it's of guilt so much there. less. Yeah, I think so there's a the guilt sometimes that. when you're not doing that, What yeah. you, to your point, to doing exactly what you should have done, like say at, at high school um, primary school when you were going through all of that and you kind of have to do your hours and you sit down, you do your hours and you go home, now you can relax. And mm. it's kind of like that whole idea of it is just um, something that I think we're all trying to break through as well. Yeah. Work-life balance can sometimes look like working on the weekends for a little bit in the morning to feel like you can relax when it comes to Monday because yeah. you set up your week, you know, ahead of time. I think that I, as I've gotten older, I think I've definitely learned that actually from both of you that it can look like that mm. if if it helps you and helps you allow you to feel like you've got that harmony and that blend in your life. But uh, you were talking about your next level up and that that's kind of that three years ahead. So what is the plan mm. to level up? I think, you know, running a business, the ultimate goal has always been and still is to make myself redundant. Not that I don't want to run the business, but to get to the point. I think for me, it's the fascination of seeing whether or not I have it in me to build a business that doesn't need me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think part of it is can we brand ourselves right can we market ourselves in particular can I build a sales function and process that you know captures leads converts them and doesn't require me so I think my goal is in within three years time to be able to take that step back and the business runs without me I think that's ultimately it I've made the decision that I don't want to be just a single consultant um I know sometimes I go maybe I should have but I go I have such a great team and I think I would be so proud of myself to build a team that can run a business and to work with them to build the processes where there's this ecosystem that I go, I look back and go, oh, it runs without me. And ultimately, I feel as if the things I do is about creating more choice for myself and more options. If I get to that point, the options might be, great cat, what's next? Or great cat, what else do you want to do in this business? Yeah, and you're giving yourself 
like power choices, the ability, like power such can be such a dirty word, but it's actually not. It's like giving yourself the power to, if you do want to stay home and be with your family in the morning, you can because you're not needed. But the other side of it is, I think what you said was really lovely because you're giving people the opportunity to have really good careers as well. And the fact that that's, you know, you can say, yeah, make yourself redundant, but on the other end, there's somebody that's going to be taking over there and you're giving them the ability to have that career through upskilling, through, you know, all of the things that you provided to both of us throughout um, when we were getting coached or consulted, whatever the word is, um, that, that, that was really important. When it came to your, say, you know, the first hire or hiring, how did you double yourself? Like how, how did you double yourself? You know, you would have had to, especially that first one when you went from, oh, wow, I'm, I'm a mum, I've got to I've got to do this. How did you then go get that first hire and say off you go? Like, how- yeah, well, I think um, I think the our first hire actually bumped into her the other day, which was really lovely. Oh. Um, was well, as I mentioned, we went through the tests, so we had the data to suggest that we will work really well together. Yeah, and I think I would say that when it was just myself and her, the owner, we very much worked, still very much as if we were consultants. Okay, and she was assisting me to help get things done. What I'd probably do is I'll fast forward maybe to three years ago or two years ago when we hired more people and the. At that point in time, I was still working relentlessly. You know, I was okay. working those late hours. I was working weekends. I'd say that about two, three years ago, we started hiring more people and we were in a position to do so. And at that point in time, I looked at the business and I said, when you hire your second person, your team of three, how do you divide the work? And when you hire your next person, how do you then divide the work? Because we look at big organizations, you're like, yes, you have this department, this department, you have mm. all these layers. And I go... How the hell is that supposed to work when you're adding one person <laughs> at a time? And what was really, really interesting for me was my first hire really complimented me in a sense that they had lots of similarities to me. And I think that was really important. But one thing that I think my um, third hire, who is still in the business today, Liam, shout out to you, love you, is they are hyper-organized. Okay. Hyper-organized in a way that I don't think I could ever be. Mm. I'm the kind of person that when I do like when I cook and there's a recipe in front of me, it doesn't matter if it's just three instructions, I'll still refuse to follow it. I'm the exact same. I, I can, I'm so happy <laughs> I I'm not alone. I feel speaking to everyone. No, no, no. Right I, I'm, I'm like nodding like, yes, it's not just me. <laughs> so having someone at that point in time was so important in our business to have someone who was very regimented, who would plan out their calendar and then do every single thing within that time slot. Mm. And having that person meant that they picked up a lot of the processes and getting things done, which meant that we started, we started operationalizing. Mm. We had more operations and we had more processes, which meant that I could truly now own more of a creative role, strategic role, mm. whilst ensuring that everything was still being done. So that, so about three years ago, that was the first realization. I said, we're changing. I feel as if we're now a company. Now, fast forward to now, this the key theme is, what else do we need to turn into a smooth running operation? Yeah. Whereas initially it was about, let's go out there, let's hustle. And yeah. now it's about, no, let's work smart and let's put the things in place so that what needs to happen happens and what doesn't, doesn't. Yeah. I think it's important. What makes you unique in, in what you've just described then is, especially from an agency point of view, is you're not obsessed with just growth, 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 growth. You're really trying to set those those key 
bricks of the business in the operations so that you can give your employees a better life, like give them a better work-life balance, let's call it, but also give your clients because you're, you're, not, you're being picky, you're being selective, you're making sure you're giving them the best result instead of just like, no, guys, growth, let's go yeah. and just hope for the best. I think that's a, that's a really, yeah, difficult it, it, it's for a business owner. I think that's rare. I also love the fact that now I know Liam is the one that says put everything on the calendar a lot of the times <laughs> because I can't tell you how many times I had a conversation with Kat who said, Penny, if you want to make it work, you know, you have to put it in on your calendar, block out the time. And that's something that we pass down to everyone in our team. Yep. You say, we, we used to say creative work, process time. If you need to do it, have it on your calendar and treat it like a meeting that you rock up to for yourself, yep. essentially. Absolutely. And I find that it's one of the best ways to manage anxiety, right? And I go, some like this morning I was sitting in the cafe and I said, oh, I need to do this, this, and this, and this. And I was like, how am I going to get it done? Yeah. What I did was I sat down, I wrote out what was on my mind, and I literally said, the things I need to do so that my anxiety doesn't kill me. And then <laughs> I said, when am I going to do just the first thing? And yeah. just slotting it in my calendar itself felt productive. Yeah. So I'm glad that you're still using the calendar. Oh, no, I'm using it like, yeah, absolutely. It's, I still have my 8 to 9 a.m., you know, early morning meeting with power. myself. Hour of power. Seriously. And it does work. And honestly, I think that aside from all the incredible advice that you've been able to kind of give us, that's one of them that we've walked away with. But what Tash and I always want to know and the way that we kind of like to end our interviews is, we want to know what the biggest piece of advice would be that you would tell your fresh out of school self. So Kat at 18 years old, she's stepping into her corporate career. What are you thinking? What are you telling herself? I would say that whatever you look to pursue, you don't need to do it alone because I have the benefit of hindsight now to know that there are so many people who've helped me get to where I need to and maybe I should ask for more help rather than carry that pride of having to try to figure out everything by myself because there are so many people who want to help you. So all you need to do is ask. Mm. Yeah, that is, that's really great advice. That's really great. And it's such something that I think, especially fresh out of uni, you're like, I can do this. I'm going to prove it to everybody. I'm going to prove myself. And it's like, you don't have to. You yeah, actually don't have to. Just just ask. Like there's heaps of people around, especially at 18. There's so many people around that have achieved more things than you have because you're just starting your career. So absolutely, it's a perfect time to just be like, hey, can I have some help? <laughs> Kat, thank you so much for such an insightful episode. Like we really loved listening to your story about how you got to where you are today and, and you've actually given our audience some real gems about how you can actually create a career as a, as a mother starting a business rather than feeling like you're racing towards a, a imaginary finish line. So thank you so much for your time today. I actually really miss chatting to you all the time. I know. I know. That went by too quickly. I know. Yeah. I was looking at the time and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm like an hour nearly flies. <laughs> now you, now you guys know. Now you guys know why we talk about cats so much. It's oh, like, you yeah. know, it's, cool. it's great. No, thank you so much for your time. And um, guys, we will be back in your ears next week for another episode of The Wib. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate and subscribe and we shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.